0: So welcome to the Sentenza podcast. Today we have Adriana on who is an influencer and also an expert on recovery from narcissistic abuse. So we'll try and have a more, I think, broad conversation both on narcissism but also how to transition into something more healthy both for self and also in relation to others because that's really where we all eventually want to get to, right? Um, So I think to get this started and kick off, I'd love to hear a bit more about your story, how you got into this. I know most people who are in this field have a personal story, which is what kind of motivated them in the first place to deal with something that can be quite heavy. So if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to hear your story. Totally.
1: Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me on your podcast. I'm so happy to be here and super excited to share this with your audience. And I hope that this helps uh, anyone who's dealing with narcissistic abuse. Um, So a bit about me, basically my story. It's Long story short, (laughs) because at the end of the day, it started in the womb, I guess, right? Because I was absolutely raised by a narcissistic mother, but I didn't know anything about like healing from this until I had really, really severe chronic pain, like physical chronic pain. And, you know, I, it was, it was a disaster. It was actually an absolute disaster. So I had TMJ dysfunction, like my jaw was basically misaligned neck pain carpal tunnel syndrome i had surgery on one hand my jaw was a mess and then i got shingles in my mouth at the ripe old age of 30 and eventually i got something called trigeminal neuralgia from the shingles which is very very painful it's like the nerve on the that's responsible for feeling half of your face and Trigeminal neuralgia is when it's kind of inflamed and it's nicknamed the suicide disease because of how freaking painful it is. So I was at basically rock bottom at this point in my chronic pain journey. I found out about something called the mind body connection, just kind of out of the blue, like the Facebook algorithm led me to an app for uh, healing from chronic pain. I impulsively the app is called curable. If anyone is dealing with chronic pain, I would highly recommend it. They do not pay me to say this at all. Um, It just it really works and it literally saved my life. And basically the whole thing about the chronic pain aspect of everything is that it is a result of repressed emotions from childhood trauma. So I didn't think that I had childhood trauma. I knew my mother was a narcissist at that time in my life, but I didn't think, I didn't really consider it to be like trauma. Cause when you hear the word trauma, you think something catastrophic, like a physical thing that happened, but you know, narcissistic abuse, emotional abuse, you can't really see it, but it is actually just as traumatic. And your nervous system goes into fight or flight and all that kind of stuff happens as well. So it absolutely is trauma. So I, you know, out of desperation to get myself out of pain because nothing was working anymore. At that point, I did the inner work. Sure enough, managed to get out of chronic pain within four months, which was completely mind blowing to me. Like I thought it was a joke that this would work, but it worked. Yeah. Wow.
0: You know, I had a similar experience, actually. I trained in San Francisco in also somatic modality of healing and the bottom-of approach of using the body. And I think even what you describe, which is so important, obviously you had psychosomatic symptoms, right, from what Mm -hmm. you had experienced, but also why sometimes talk therapy alone is not enough, or very often is not enough, and even more so with what you're describing, because a lot of this happened even starting from the womb, when you were so mm-hmm. small, right? And, and even before language have developed. So a lot of this, we can't even describe with language because we didn't have language um, and didn't have that way of grasping the world. So the only way at that point, the child can store things is somatically, right? Through the body. Um, and also I think you mentioned again, that it is a trauma. And I think it's such a good point you bring up that we should like really emphasize. Cause often we have this idea that trauma is some horrible event, right? And I think that's what we often refer to as shock trauma. And actually, that's easier to treat than more complex trauma, which is what you have experienced, which is ongoing developmental trauma and neglect, right? Or violation, Mm -hmm. which is far harder and which often is stored and manifests in the body. And for me, it was similar. I went to my training and... You know, I used to hate people touching my body, absolutely hate it, and I could never explain why. You know, my wife used to say, but why can't I touch your stomach? And I just didn't know why. It just felt irritating, and I knew it wasn't normal. It just irritated me. And I went to a trained, someone who was also trained in somatic therapy, and all he did was put his hand on my stomach. And over an hour, I just slowly let it sink down, let my body push it away and sink in, and suddenly something just softened in my body. And, you know, what I had done 10 years in talk therapy managed mm-hmm. to dissolve in one hour of allowing the body to feel safe, even without saying a single word. So I just wanted to add that into what you were saying.
1: Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And that's amazing. Right. And it's mm. so similar to the experiences that so many survivors of narcissistic abuse have been through. Like I did eight years of talk therapy on and off because I didn't know that there was anything else you could do. Yeah. And nothing, nothing until I started actually like digging into my emotions and feeling them somatically in my body. Nothing else I could have possibly done before that would have done anything for me. So absolutely. Like people need to know about this a hundred percent. And I'm so glad that you had that experience with a somatic trained therapist yourself, that you were able to actually heal something because it's, it's impossible without, going into the body and no one, no one knows about this for some reason, which is yeah. really sad in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I think I was lucky because I trained as a massage therapist and oh, I, I and like a long, long time ago and I saw the impact of touch and then it also kind of just rang Home. And I even had a, a discussion with a friend of mine who's a psychologist in, in Denmark. And I said, why is touch not incorporated more in therapy? And I think it's because there's a big taboo around touch and also because it's mm-hmm. obviously also used as a way of violating. So they kind of stay away from it. But if we think about the first way a child learns to feel safe, if it was lucky to have, you know, nurturing parents, is that it comes out and it gets physical touch, right? It's the mm-hmm. first way we learn, our nervous system Learn you're safe by being held. And yet, it's one of the things we don't really engage with, which is incredible, right? Because it's so critical to learn to regulate, to feel safe with touch.
1: Exactly. And just even learning how to feel safe in your body.
0: Yeah, that's right. Which, yeah, it's just so
1: key with the healing journey, which, yeah, no one knows about it.
0: (laughs) Well, they will now, because we're going to talk about it. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) exactly. So I want to talk a bit about the trauma bond, because that's like one of the most common questions that i get i'm sure you get too um people look up and find this expression and they start making some sense of this chaos and madness and also why they keep going back right because it's one of the things that people from the outside who have an experience simply can't understand because they're like you know this is bad for you you're hurting why do you go back and that's obviously because they don't understand what the trauma bond is and the addiction that abuse survivor is actually experiencing so do you want to talk a little bit about maybe the trauma bond and also potential strategies that people can at least start to to move themselves out of that place which is a very painful place we both know mm-hmm. that oh yeah totally
1: yeah so like the trauma bond is a real thing and a lot of people don't understand it and it's when you have been narcissistically abused especially over a long period of time The trauma bond is strong. So you're going to feel like you can't leave this person or you need this person in your life or there's just something about this person that like you cannot let go. And that is the result of the manipulation that the narcissist put you through because they basically train you from day one. Like that trauma bond starts at day one so if it's a parent it started in the womb if it's a significant other it starts at the initial stages of the relationship where they're love bombing you that's where the trauma bond gets created because that's why you're always trying to get back to the beginning part of the relationship and you know strategies to deal with the trauma bond is doing the emotional work which no one wants to hear this (laughs) because you can understand this mentally as much as you want to you can do all the research in the world You can research till like three in the morning every day if you want to, but if you're not incorporating the emotional work into this, there's only so much that the logical knowledge will be helpful for, because chances are you're probably going to still want to go back or like, it's going to be very uncomfortable not going back because of that trauma bond. So understanding what emotions are underneath that trauma bond. So it's important to understand that narcissists actually thrive off of you repressing your emotions. So when you're, for example, angry with the narcissist because they violated you, they did something horrible because that's what they do. They do horrible things to people. And then they tell you, you're too sensitive. You're not allowed to be angry with me. Like you're being overly dramatic, blah, blah, blah. The default is to repress that anger. And so then when you repress that anger, you miss out on the message of what that anger had for you, which was, this is wrong what happened here was wrong, completely unacceptable, not okay. And you're well within your rights to feel angry about it. But when you repress that anger, you miss out on that altogether. And so then you have this repressed anger and that can of course manifest physically in the future with chronic pain or mystery symptoms and stuff like that. Um, so it's very important to, you know, kind of allow yourself to feel those emotions. So if you are stuck in a trauma bond right now, you can journal about how you feel stuck in that trauma bond and see if any emotions come up and see if you can process that within your body and notice where in your body you feel what the trauma bond feels like. Now, this can sound a little bit advanced, right? So it's, it's in a nutshell, like this is what it is. This is the healing work in itself, but teaching your brain that it's safe to feel these emotions Mm -hmm. is going to help you get to that point. Um, So, you know, kind of reminding yourself that it's safe to feel exactly how you feel. It's safe to feel, it's safe to even feel the trauma bond, but it doesn't mean you have to act on the trauma bond just because you're feeling it. Because the more you run away from those emotions, the more that you're denying yourself. And maybe there's a message underneath that trauma bond. And that message might be, this was the result of manipulation. And you won't be able to get to that conclusion unless you actually feel through it and convince yourself that it's safe to feel through it and let yourself process whatever comes out. So journaling is such a great way to do it. 20 minute timer, pen, paper, vomit on paper, see where it takes you. Doesn't matter what you write. Doesn't matter if you go off topic and then you'll be able to notice if you feel anything in your body and that's the emotion, whatever you're feeling in your body, it might not happen right away. But if you do this, like on a regular basis, you can totally kick that trauma bond to the curb and you'd be surprised with the the healing that can come from simply journaling. And it's not just going to help with the trauma bond, but kind of everything else.
0: Yeah. I love that. And journaling is such a good tool. There's even research that shows that it helps you with emotional mm-hmm. regulation, just being able to verbalize. And I think Part of what also happens around emotion is we often, as a culture, have this idea that there's good or bad or negative or positive mm-hmm. emotions, which is nonsense. Because, and this is why I've, I love what you're saying, because emotions are just like sensations, messengers. So we don't say feeling cold or hot is good or bad. It's just telling us, put a jacket on or take some clothing off, right? Or put on, it's just exactly. si- sending us a signal. But emotions are the same, right? They're literally not good or bad. They're just signals. And like you said, anger. It's not good or bad it's just telling you you're being violated i need you to stand up for yourself and if you continue to suppress it then it becomes of course internalized in the body and disease and other physical dysfunctions right because we don't listen Mm -hmm. and some way eventually the body will make us listen but i think as as long as we have judgment around good or bad emotions it's hard to let them flow right freely Mm -hmm. if we feel shame around anger and i think especially in a culture we have here, there's a lot of shame for women around anger, you know, women are supposed to be nice and shouldn't mm-hmm. express anger, right? And that inhibits this free flow that you talk about in a writing process where we need to have no judgment and just see this is what I'm experiencing and actually this is a signal system designed to keep me safe. And it actually wants me good. Even anger is something that's good if we listen to it, right? Just like cold isn't bad. It's just telling you, put on a damn jacket. If you keep on doing that, you're going to get sick, right? Because it's too cold. It's too cold. So it's kind of like listening. And I think what you're describing with the journaling is actually tuning in and start to listen instead of keep denying them, right? Exactly.
1: 100%. Because if you like when you have those recurring thoughts, yeah. right? Cause this, this can tie in with rumination cause you can ruminate about what a horrible person you are yeah. because you set a boundary and how dare you? And now <sighs> this person is upset.
0: <laughs> and they will make you feel bad about it, right? They will make exactly. you feel bad about it.
1: Exactly. And when you feel bad about it, that doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It just means that like this person's literally manipulating you. Yeah. So when you actually start to explore it, that rumination will turn into information mm. and clarity, yeah. but you have to actually allow yourself to go there. And I think a lot of us are just afraid of our minds because, you know, uh-huh. especially if we've been narcissistically abused, like, you know, I'm sure anyone listening to this who's dealt with a narcissist, they've gotten in trouble mm-hmm. <laughs> for thinking uh-huh. a thought
0: yeah, no, and like, also, how like, dare you, and like you said, thing. we don't want to upset the other, like you said, right? And it comes mm-hmm. back, I think again, we'll talk more about kindness and self-kindness later, but I think again, because I like looking at this also in a cultural perspective, why we're exposed to a lot of these things, and I think the fact is, it comes back also to the, our definition of what kindness is, which we tend to see kindness as something you do towards others, how you act towards others, but I think we forgot an even more critical element of kindness, how do we act towards self? Because it's really mm-hmm. not kind to let somebody treat you in a way that causes your anxiety or that makes you feel worse about yourself or that makes you feel drained, right? That's really unkind. So, people often say, I'm a really kind person. And they get shocked when I say, well, are you? They say, yeah, I treat other people really nicely. I said, I know you do. I don't dispute that. You you are very kind. But I said, I don't think you're kind to yourself at all. So, you know, if you want to be a kind person, why don't you start by being? And they're like, "Oh yeah." And I think it's just yeah. not even a framework we we have learned to see kindness at. It's only seen as how I do treat others. You know. Exactly. But what about how exactly. we treat us?
1: Right, and that's the thing with narcissistic abuse. You're conditioned to treat yourself like shit. Yeah. Because that's what the narcissist wants you to do. Because when you are feeling so bad about yourself and unworthy and you know ashamed of yourself and in that state of fear like you're easier to control that's right and that's why narcissists you know they they try their best to get you into that state and so recognizing that is you know it's it's a lot <laughs> to take in absolutely especially if you're at the beginning of the journey and you know you you kind of realize and you have that existential funk moment of like oh my god like this is the purpose of all of this like that's ridiculous yeah. <laughs> and this is really that person's motivation just to get a reaction out of me and i've been going through actual hell this entire time yeah. so you know that's that's where some of that compassion can start coming in when you start observing and start mm-hmm. noticing exactly how you feel. Yeah. And it can sound so counterintuitive because you probably feel unworthy, mm-hmm. but exploring that unworthiness is going to help bring that compassion about.
0: Beautiful. And you know, I also think what makes it hard is that we have this bias that we tend to presume others are like us. So a lot of people who are targets of narcissists are quite empathetic people, often have some slight anxious attachment. and. You know, we tend to presume the rest of the world is like us. So the idea, like you said, that somebody was do this on purpose is so hard for us to comprehend. And therefore, often abuse survivors tend to keep thinking, oh, this person is going to change, right? Because they cannot Mm -hmm. comprehend that some people actually don't change. And I know it's really difficult for some people to get their head around that some people don't want to change. And they actually don't want other people well. And they actually don't care about your well-being. And that's so hard for an empathetic person who is wired to feel a lot of empathy for others to actually understand and i think part of learning to feel safe is also to understand that we can't project our own perspective onto the world and presume everybody else is like us right because they're not right. and i think that's important to understand it doesn't mean there's not kind people in the world there are but we have mm-hmm. to not presume other people are like us because that exposes to danger again in the future right exactly
1: hundred percent and that's that's where you know for myself personally that was very difficult for me to wrap my head around because Mm. I just assumed everyone had empathy
0: welcome to the club it was it was a big
1: (laughs) punch in the face Yeah, Yeah. it was like a literal punch in the face to realize like wait not everybody operates like this okay wow and they procreate and I'm the result of that okay (laughs) you know like it's really it's a disaster when you actually think about it but and it's disturbing it's disturbing too and you're allowed to feel as disturbed as you feel about the fact that there are people out there with very bad intentions that pretend that they don't have bad intentions only to manipulate you into their bad intentions while continuing to lie to you about it all the every step of the way even if there's undisputable evidence as to what they did so wrapping your head around that can definitely be a lot and you're allowed to feel exactly how you feel about it and you should be angry about it because this is stuff that pisses people off yes
0: and and like i said feeling the anger is really healthy it's finally acknowledging what happened is not okay right and it's saying stand up for yourself so actually it's really important to get in touch. And I found with, with women I spoke to, they often find it re- for men it's easier to engage with anger because culturally mm-hmm. it's very acceptable. But for a lot mm-hmm. of women, it's really hard to accept yeah. that it's really okay to be like furious, angry. It's okay to have mm-hmm. thoughts of revenge. It's actually a normal human process to go through, right? So so you should actually embrace it. And as you said, journal it. But I wanna go back a bit, a bit to the trauma bond because mm-hmm. as you talked about and described, I think it's so important we understand and acknowledge that it is an addiction because it also teaches a bit about how we should treat it right and this idea of getting the reward like you said in the beginning the love bombing which spiked dopamine right it feels amazing Mm -hmm. like taking a drug you feel kind of high you know you get this spotlight you everything you do is so great and it feels amazing and and then suddenly you get the anxiety right whether that's rage silent treatment and that creates this up and down like taking a drug coming down needing another boost right So we need to kind of treat it as that as well. And I think I wanted to, maybe you can touch a bit on the idea of of no contact as well because a lot of people are like well what does it even mean and they say oh I blocked them but I check on social media is that no contact and there's like a lot of confusion so maybe you could talk a bit to this because I say it's kind of like an addiction if you keep having beers in your fridge and you're trying to stop being an alcoholic that's going to be very difficult because when you feel shit you're going to go get that beer right so exactly. you need to make sure that you have no beer so when you really feel have a bad evening you don't have access to the beer right otherwise you're going to drink it so i don't know if you can talk a bit about that idea and concept of no contact
1: yeah so i mean definitely the the trauma bond can distract you from the repressed emotions that have been repressed the entire time that would actually free you from the trauma bond if that makes sense so it's kind of like the same concept as chronic pain because the pain is distracting you from the emotions so you're focused on your body Whereas in this case with the trauma bond, the trauma bond is distracting you from the repressed emotions. And then it's so easy to act on those repressed emotions because of the trauma bond and ignore those emotions and go back to the narcissist and check on their social media or, you know, whatever the case may be, or reach out to them to see if they changed or whatever. And, you know, I would encourage anybody who is tempted to reach back out to the narcissist in their life, or if, the narcissist is actually hoovering you right now, especially with the holidays coming up and all that, I would encourage you to do some journaling about the fact that you are tempted to either respond or reach out to them and see where that takes you. Mm -hmm. Because that, when you start untangling those thoughts, you're going to start seeing this person for who they are, Mm -hmm. because you're going to be able to release some of the emotions that are keeping you kind of trauma bonded to them. And once you release those emotions, it's going to be like, Oh, okay. Like I actually don't need this person in my life whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So it's, it does take doing the work to actually get to that point because you know, if you, if you do it, just mindset setting your way through it, like by all means go for it. But eventually those repressed emotions will catch up with you and you can only try and convince yourself or lie to yourself so much that everything's fine. And the world's a beautiful place and you don't, need to deal with this person but then you're going to get triggered all the time that's right. left right and center right it's not about having that mental toughness to stay no contact or even entertain going no contact and yeah no contact is no contact so it's basically all or nothing you're not checking up on their social media you're not interacting with them whatsoever Um, you know, and it depends on the context of the relationship, right? Like sometimes you can't go full, no contact, especially if you share children with the narcissist, or if it's a family member and you're like the only next of kin or whatever the case may be, sometimes you have to do low contact or at least emotionally detached contact. And the trauma bond is not going to go anywhere if you're not doing the emotional work. So, you know, it's like one baby step at a time and just getting curious about the trauma bond. Right. So, anytime that you're like, oh, maybe I should reach out to this person or maybe I'm going to check their social media, question why.
0: Yeah. And also, what's this going to solve? You know, also what you said, sometimes there are instances if you have chilled on other things where you need some kind of minimum contact. And I think in that instance, I always say to people, I'm sure you'll agree that. Boundaries is so important to work on because it's something we already struggle on, which is why we partly ended up here too in the first place, mm-hmm. right? People with solid okay. boundaries, they often don't end up with a romantic partner who's narcissistic. And you know, the fact is, when we get these boundaries, and even when you have to have a bit of contact, you can have really clear boundaries about how frequent that can be communication, how that communication, and if that's violated, you can temporarily block this person. And you just do that every time they overstep that boundary, right? Until they learn that they have to stay within this unless otherwise there's not a communication channel. Uh, Because otherwise, again, they will find ways to keep pushing. They love pushing and see how far they can push that boundary, right? And if you Mm -hmm. allow it to be pushed, they will push further, right? So you have to be really consequent. And I think also another thing that I just wanted to mention around the trauma bond, because I love your idea of journaling. It helped me so much. I think it's such, I do it every day. It's such an important tool to get clarity on our own processes and also get more self-awareness and healing. And I also think the aspect, because again, we live in this culture that is so glorifying of individualism, right? You even have an American constitution, the individual pursuit of happiness. And we think it's of this pursuit of self, right? But actually Mm -hmm. it takes us away from, you know, our brain is a social organ and we know that actually we flourish best when we're in connection with others. And even more so, there was this book, I forgot the title, but it's a beautiful book of a guy who had uh, addicted parents and he started going around and understanding, speaking to all these different addiction experts in the world and understanding what is the core, is it just chemical in the brain or is there something else? And his discovery was the core issue that made people continue to stick with addiction was not chemical actually, it was a lack of human connection. And I think that's a good lesson we can take into this because if we look at this as an addiction, right, the trauma bond, we also need to make sure we get human connection as we go through this. We can't Mm -hmm. do it alone. There will be nights where you feel so awful, so rubbish and in so much pain that if you have no human connection to reach out to who is safe, you will want to gravitate back to the narcissist, right? Because you still have that feeling that that... And therefore, I always say to people, like, make a tree, where you kind of write out what people are safe connections in your life that you can reach out to because you're going to need those people. Right. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's a strength to be able to reach out. It's not a weakness. It's a strength.
1: Exactly, A hundred percent. And make sure that those people are in fact safe. And you know, it's, uh, (laughs) that's, and that, that can be really (laughs) tricky sometimes for survivors, especially if your entire family is, toxic sometimes there are zero safe people in somebody's life and that's you know that's unfortunate when that's the case and if that is the case it's better to just do it alone than to do the healing with toxic people because they're gonna set you way back so you know whether your support team is people that you actually know or you know a professional, whether it's a coach. I was or just about to therapist. say that
0: because you're right. If you don't yeah. have a friend or family, then that's where it even becomes more important to have a coach like you or a therapist, somebody who can be that safe, point, yeah. right? Because we all need somebody we can go to. I think it's exactly. pretty impossible to do this alone. So, yeah. you know, that's I mean, what... it's
1: possible, it's possible, but it's hard. It's just, it takes that much longer. It's that much more difficult, but some people do do it on their own if, because they have to just out of necessity. Yeah. But once you start doing it on your own, if that ends up being the case for you, you will eventually start finding your tribe. And yeah. those safe people and they're going to start appearing in your life because you're actually going to be able to like notice oh this is healthy behavior mm-hmm. this person's not trying to manipulate me this person doesn't have an agenda yeah. cool but it does take you know figuring that out eventually to get to that point point. and sometimes unfortunately we start with nobody yeah. um and that's it sucks it absolutely sucks and let it suck You know, like allow it to suck as much as it sucks, because then that's going to help open up the door to find that support system, whether it's random people that you find online, Mm -hmm. you know, like if it's in a support group for survivors of narcissistic abuse, by all means. Right. Like that is a totally valid support group, because sometimes the people in our lives they, they can't support us or they don't know how to support us. And they can't hold that space for us the way that we need it held for us. And so starting with yourself sometimes is a necessity, but eventually you'll be able to figure out who your support system is, whether it's random people from a support group, a coach, a therapist who actually gets it. Those are the unicorns out there. They're very hard to find, but if you have one of those, keep them, um, or, you know, whoever it ends up being, but yeah. Absolutely. It's so important to be able to connect with people who get it. And at least now in this day and age, there's so many resources online. There's so many accounts, even on Instagram, on TikTok, on YouTube that, you know, it's survivors speaking out about their like abuse and what they've been through so people don't really have to feel as alone as they would have like 10 years ago
0: exactly and people can follow you on instagram we'll talk about that at the end but but, um we'll mention (laughs) that but i also want to talk a bit about what blinds us to the narcissist because I think again even when people go through the healing process maybe they had support they done lots of journaling therapy and they're starting to feel more grounded they feel the trauma bond is letting go you know they're not ruminating and actually they want to go out and they want to have a go again at this dating experience and see maybe they can experience that in a healthy nurturing way but that's quite scary right mm-hmm. and it's natural by the way and I also think instead of judging i heard some a woman who said to me oh i have this shield and i shouldn't have it and i said to her why shouldn't you have that i think the shield is there for a good reason you know it's telling you you need to be a bit more careful this time and that's a good thing so mm-hmm. i said you know it's good it's telling you to slow down yes. which again is a good thing so actually maybe you should appreciate that shield it's there to just keep totally. you safe but i want to talk a bit about what blinded us to this in the first place you know, what is it that made us go into this and not actually spot these warning signs that maybe are easier to spot afterwards, right? When people, yeah. you know, follow your Instagram and learn, oh, this was it. But why do we not see it in the moment when we're there? <laughs> Could you talk a bit about that and, and how we can see it better next time? Because hindsight is
1: twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like when you're in the bubble and you are in it, you cannot see a damn thing like y- you you just can't. And it's so easy to beat yourself up for not seeing the warning signs or, you know, letting it go on for however long it went on for. And, you know, again, if that's where you're at right now, journal about it, because that's going to help release those emotions. So you can kind of let go of that and move forward. Um, but, you know, the warning signs are basically if, if it's too good to be true mm-hmm. it probably is and this person's probably just telling you exactly what you want to hear mm-hmm. so that you reach the same level of interest as they have or you know so-called interest because yeah. they can you know they target people they literally mm-hmm. people who have empathy
0: that's right
1: because they you know like we we can we kind of you know, wear our hearts on our sleeves sometimes, so they can see it. And it doesn't mean that you need to be like a guarded, cold hearted person or anything like that. It's just, you know, you can still wear your heart on your sleeve, but open up your eyes a little bit more and navigate the world with that awareness. So, you know, when you do meet somebody new, are they love bombing you? And that is, you know, when they just come on very strong and they're telling you everything that you want to hear, you have everything in common, you do the same hobbies, your dogs have the same name, what a coincidence, you know, that kind of ridiculous stuff. Yeah. Um, that's all love bombing. And, you know, if they tell you that they love you, like right away or that your soulmates or twin flames or whatever, like that those are all like massive red flags. Like yeah. you want to run as fast as you can. A red flag is a full stop. So you want to run at the first sign of a red flag. It's not a challenge. I saw a quote somewhere on the internet. It's not a challenge to try and overcome the red flag. It's a full stop and you run away and do not even waste Mm -hmm. any more time with this person. Um, So, you know, just kind of being observant of what's going on right in front of you and noticing how you feel. If you get like a gut feeling Mm -hmm. about this person, that's probably a bad thing. Mm -hmm. It probably means that you're getting, like, if you compare, because you probably had a gut feeling with the last narcissist you dated for anyone who's going back into the dating scene after narcissistic abuse, pay attention to what that felt like. And this is why it's so important to do the emotional work, because it's going to help you actually trust your intuition. Yeah. Because your nervous system knows when somebody's unsafe before you even are consciously aware of it. That's right. So yeah, like the nervous system can totally pick up on other people's energies. And so if you're getting some kind of a gut feeling, notice if it's similar to the gut feeling that you got with previous narcissists in your life. And if it is, that is not chemistry. Mm-hmm. That's your nervous system saying run like the frickin' wind.
0: Yeah, and you know also what you said is so important because it's this what you described the love bombing, the everything is great, it's high intensity, right? It's a classical sign, not just of narcissism, also borderline. It's very mm-hmm. high intensity, very quick. You know, for me she would talk about marriage after three weeks, after four weeks she said I should buy her diamond ring, and I'm like, What? Uh-huh. And and I thought she Red was joking. Flag. Yeah, I thought she was joking, oh, no. right? I'm like, This is too weird, she's surely joking. Um oh, and but again it comes with so like you said, soulmate, right? And if people say that when they don't even know nobody knows you when you dated for a few months right it takes a long time Absolutely. if somebody starts saying these things push for quick commitment again like you said it's this high quick intensity is a huge warning sign i would say the only time this doesn't apply is with a psychopath that's the only people that might not do high intensity but that's not really the focus today I just want to mention that because I know some people have been blindsided with a psychopath it's actually more the opposite it's complete lack of emotional responses so that could be you know you see an old lady be hit by a car a normal human being would have a reaction to that right because mm-hmm. it's uncomfortable to see they would try yeah. and help while a psychopath would not have any emotional reaction to that and that so oh, for fine. them it's kind of the opposite it's that they have yeah. no no emotional reaction, while for the narcissist, it's more this tendency to create really quick intensity, right? They live in this world of idolization, where Mm -hmm. they think, you know, you're so great, as long as you're giving them supply. And the Mm -hmm. second you're not giving them that, then you become a demon that they think they can abuse and kick. Um, But I think what's interesting also, I guess, and this is where you're right, the journaling is so good, is to look at Why do we get appealed to that? Because what I found is a lot of people who are attracted to narcissists have a slight sense, and there's no judgment around this because there's no good or bad attachment styles. But to heal, we need to acknowledge a lot of us have had at least an anxious attachment style. And this is why Mm -hmm. high intensity is so appealing because to this attachment style, we feel safety. In things going really quick right and this is why we gravitate and this is why we easily manipulate it because it's so easy to fake this quickness and greatness okay. and we often buy into that because if we are a bit anxious that makes us feel safe right So we latch on to it. So unless we look at our own anxious attachment and our own tendency, maybe, you know, I remember a friend of mine said to me, Thomas, I noticed in in your dynamic, even in the healthy dynamics, he would say, you tend to go really fast. Like you see these girls a lot and it quickly is a committed relationship. And I suddenly thought, yeah, he's got a point. And I started realizing how I was rushing too and how that made me vulnerable. Right. And by doing that, I could now make a conscious choice. And notice when my nervous system wanted me to rush because maybe i feel anxious but then make a different choice and saying i hear that you want this to make me feel safe but this this worked when i was a little kid it's not an effective strategy and i would consciously say so therefore i'm gonna chose to go slow i'm not gonna see her three times this week only once i'm not gonna mm-hmm. go straight to you know a committed relationship after three weeks because i don't know her And we can then start making a conscious choice rather than our nervous system just automatic making these choices for us, right?
1: Exactly.
0: So, yeah, it's but again, it comes back to journaling. And I think that journaling helped me realize and see these patterns, like you said. Mm -hmm. So journal, journal, journal.
1: (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And try not to be so afraid of your mind, too, right? Because that's that's a big part of it. Like, we're so afraid of our thoughts, but... At the end of the day, thoughts are not real and thoughts cannot hurt you and neither can emotions and untangling that from your subconscious is literally the key to that freedom
0: nice and not judging ourselves right as well yes because the reason we often don't want to see this is all this shame even around attachment styles you know there's a lot Mm -hmm. like we tend to think that safe and secure attachment that's a good attachment style but it's nonsense like emotions we said before there is no good and bad they were a functional response to a dysfunctional environment so you know you did it because it worked when you were that child it's just that they don't work anymore as an adult right but if we can look at them without judgment we can say oh yeah maybe I do have tendency towards anxious attachment. It doesn't make me less attractive. It doesn't make me less a bad person. But how can I work with that to actually gravitate and create more security? Exactly. So I want to talk to you a bit more about, again, how we can then protect ourselves, right? So we mm-hmm. mentioned a bit more about boundaries earlier, I think. So I want to talk a bit more about that because I think it's an important Part yeah. of being safe, because part of why they target us is often because, again, when we are quite empathetic, maybe a bit anxious, maybe tend to have learned to people, please, as a way of feeling safe in the world, mm-hmm. we are the perfect supply, right? And again, oh, yeah. to be honest, a narcissist wouldn't target a, a friend of mine. He's got so solid boundaries, gentle, but very solid. He would never be targeted mm-hmm. by a narcissist because yeah, they would look so at that and like, this guy's not going to give me what I need. So it's exactly. a good, good um Yeah, and I even say in dating, it's good to set early boundaries just to see how somebody responds, right? But could you talk a bit about boundaries and how people can start developing that if they feel really uncomfortable about it, which I think a lot of people do, right?
1: Yeah, 100%. So number one, just understand that your discomfort around boundaries, given the situation, completely normal. It would be weird if you have been like, narcissistically abused your entire life. And the first day you learn about boundaries Mm. decades later, you become a boundary setting (laughs) professional. Uh (laughs) Like that would be very weird. So please try and look at it that way. Right. And I know that when, you know, we, we want to get out of the dynamic, we want to set the boundaries. We want that instant gratification. We want it now, 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 because you know, there's no time. (laughs) And (laughs) I totally get that. Um, But, you know, it's important to do the emotional work when it comes to boundaries as well, because that discomfort around setting boundaries is literally repressed emotions. Mm -hmm. So why are you uncomfortable setting boundaries? Because you were taught that you were never allowed to have Mm -hmm. boundaries especially if you were raised in that kind of a dynamic in your household with a narcissistic parent, there was no such thing as boundaries. You were not allowed to have them. You're an extension of your parent, and you know, that's the messaging that you got as a kid. And so that kind of gets carried out with you throughout the rest of your life until you, you know, are lucky enough to figure this out, you know? And, um, so yeah, like just exploring the discomfort about the boundary. So if you have an idea of the boundary that you want to set, but you're not confident that you can set it yet, that's okay. Make that your journal prompt. Do some journaling around that. Explore the discomfort. Notice what that discomfort feels like in your body. If you can name the emotion, great. If you can't, that's okay. As long as you're feeling it in your body, then that's what matters. And then notice if the intensity level starts going lower and lower, that's the emotion releasing. And then see if there's any clarity. And then you might even, you know, be able to brainstorm ways that you could set your boundary or, you know, like if you want to go no contact, for example, like some people think they need to write an entire letter and like a goodbye speech and all that kind of stuff. But what that is, is just more supply Mm -hmm. and you know, exploring your intention with that, is it to make them understand because they're not going to understand. They already, they already understand. (laughs) They understand. (laughs) They know what you're doing. They are just going to try and brainstorm. (laughs) Exactly. They don't care. And they're going to improvise new ways on getting a reaction out of you because that's what it all boils down Mm -hmm. to. So exploring those emotions within yourself Mm -hmm. is going to give you that clarity and give you, you know, the ability to think, Mm. about how you're going to start setting those boundaries and you know you'll probably come to the conclusion once you've worked through it emotionally that they don't deserve one more minute of your time Mm. and you can just go full out no contact and call it a day
0: yeah and there's also this gentleness around boundaries like you said we you know when it's a new concept and we never had the opportunity never learned we had a right to have boundaries then you know, be gentle, it's gonna take time. Like anything, it's a practice, right? We couldn't walk straight away, we couldn't type straight away. And as you start doing boundaries, sometimes we won't get it right. Sometimes we'll be too harsh. And then we learn, right? And again, don't judge yourself because you're just practicing a new skill. Sometimes you will let people overstep because you got overwhelmed. It doesn't mean you're bad. It doesn't mean you don't deserve your boundary. It just means you're learning something completely new and you're meant to mess up, right? And I think what often happens, which is normal, is when we learn, when we've been in one extreme, no boundaries, we get a bit on the other extreme and maybe for a little while become too harsh, with our mm-hmm. boundaries the way we express them totally. and again it's normal and that's how we then come back and find that middle point so it's also okay you know and be gentle and then just you know if you think you've gone too far and or too harsh just reach out to that person and you can just say listen my boundaries are valid but maybe i communicated a bit too harsh it's okay it's okay to exactly. mess up so i think and also like this is one of the great things about hiring someone like you a professional is that it gives you a safe space to practice boundaries because I think what's important is when it's new, when it's really scary, then you don't want to necessarily go do it with your boss or someone where you may get a very hostile reaction, right? Because that will make you mm-hmm. retreat back in your little shelf. And this is why it's good to work with someone like you, um, because it gives you a safe space. And as your nervous system starts to learn that somebody can respond and even acknowledge your boundaries, it start feeling more safe, right? Then you can practice yeah. with somebody, maybe a friend, that's a bit more safe, right? And mm-hmm. as you get exactly. better, so it's like slow. You don't go to the Olympics to do the 100-meter sprint, right? You start slowly. Exactly. And then, you know, you can practice with toxic people as you get better and better at it. But don't start there because it's like that's setting yourself up for failure. So I think it's exactly. great to, to just, again, slow and gentleness, you know? It's key.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Unless your safety's at risk. Yeah. Then you start there. Absolutely. Yeah. But... Yeah. I mean, just learn, just look at it. Like you're really just learning a brand new skill. It's like learning a new language or it's like, you know, going to the gym for the first time, you're not going to become a bodybuilder after working out once, you know? So it's, it's a muscle that you're building that it atrophied unfortunately, because you didn't even have a chance to develop that muscle. So being gentle with yourself that way and, you know, it, it can get a lot easier. Like once you start really digging into it, the boundary setting with the toxic people, it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be full no contact right away. Mm-hmm. It can be something as small as don't call my phone after 9:30 p.m right. or
0: right. you know
1: whatever the case may be, and there's mm-hmm. going to be a consequence if they do call that consequence you don't answer the phone and maybe you get back to them in the morning and if they're going to get angry with you let them have a conversation in your text messages with themselves let them go off because they're just they're really just trying to get that reaction out of you at the end of the day so if that ends up happening notice how that makes you feel notice what emotions are there and you know one layer of emotion at a time and having realistic expectations of yourself that you're not going to be like the boundary champion tomorrow
0: that's but right.
1: maybe you're starting to build these skills little by little, yeah. and it's going to start making more and more sense as you keep going.
0: Yeah, and also I think you know there's a lot of talk about this idea of self-worth, right? And I mm-hmm. think boundaries is such a key part of self-worth because every time we set a boundary, we are telling ourselves, our own body, uh, "I'm you're safe because I'm looking out for you," right? And as we, you know, when and again, there's no blame here, but sometimes as we allow Boundary violation, it makes us feel less safe, right? So, therefore, slowly building up that muscle and teaching. And even what I used to do is I would actually put my hand on my body where it felt tense in the beginning Mm -hmm. when I set a boundary and I might get tension in my stomach, right? And I would just put a hand on my stomach. And when I set my boundary, and afterwards, and slowly I could feel my stomach become more and more relaxed because I was teaching my body that my body was safe now because I was Mm -hmm. looking out for my body, right? Um, that's amazing but like I said it's just a slow gentle practice and it's really nice Mm -hmm. I found to to embody it like you said you talk a lot about the body and I agree so much to make it somatic as we do it so notice where does it feel really uncomfortable is it your jaw maybe it's your jaw it was for me as well that gets really tense that's okay then maybe just hold your jaw for a little Mm -hmm. bit right and just allow that and then you realize it's just a sensation At the end of the day, all this Mm -hmm. discomfort is, okay, my stomach is a little tense. And after a while, you build up that muscle and you say, well, I can be with a tense stomach. And suddenly it doesn't feel so intimidating anymore, right? Because all it boils down to is a tense stomach. And at the end, you laugh about it. And you're like, well, it's just a tense stomach and it's fine. Yeah,
1: (laughs) totally. Totally. And you can absolutely reach that point just by one baby step at a time. Because that really is all it is. It's just a sensation in your body. And it's safe to feel it. It's not a medical episode.
0: Yeah. I want to talk to you a little bit about self-kindness as well. I know it's a long podcast, but I think it's so important, right? Um, If you want to talk Mm -hmm. a bit, because I know with journaling, you talk a lot about journaling and that's a great place. How people can start changing this internal bully or the narcissist that they carry, I call it a garden. I say, you know, you were born with a narcissist parent, right? And it's kind of like we're given a garden and they plant the flowers. But as we grow up, we can look at that and say, actually, I don't like these thingy nettles. And we can pull them out and plant our own flowers, right? So that's kind of my analogy for for self-kindness. But I don't know if you can talk a bit more about this and, and what we can do to practically start implementing it.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I love that analogy with the garden. That's amazing. And you know, I, I will piggyback off of that analogy because (laughs) these are the ideas that you have about yourself, right? Mm -hmm. That you're a horrible person. This is the stuff that's been planted in your garden. Mm. So it's so hard to have self-compassion when you are empathic and you believe that you're a horrible person. Mm -hmm. So understanding that first and foremost and then seeing that like these are the ideas that were planted in you and the way to like you know flip your garden is you have to take out all the old crop so that you can plant the new seeds Mm -hmm. otherwise they're just going to all grow all over each other and it's going to be a huge mess and it's going to be a disaster (laughs) but what that entails is actually acknowledging the thoughts that you're having about yourself so if you feel like you're not worthy of anything good happening in your life just because you think it it does not make it true Mm -hmm. and i know there's so many like coaches on instagram that do like manifestation and all that and it's like oh what you think becomes reality (laughs) (laughs) you know
0: (laughs) you sound like me now this is something i would say
1: (laughs) that's hilarious (laughs) It's so true, though, you know, it's like it's we become so afraid of our minds and our thoughts because yeah. of the, these messages that we get. Yeah. And we really think that our thoughts are real. And honestly, I used to think this way until I realized if my thoughts were real, like I would be dead by now. I would be in jail by now. I would be a billionaire by now. Like, oh, Thank
0: God. It's so, so good for me to, to hear someone happen. else say this.
1: <laughs>
0: Amazing. I'm like, I can't take more of this self-help BS. Our thoughts are not who we are and like it's not even helpful to say that i know exactly. they probably have good intentions but it's just yeah, not and true I mean, it's
1: easy to market that stuff yeah. but you know what? Yeah. it's all bullshit at the end of the day yeah, thank you like, <laughs> thank you you're welcome <laughs> you're welcome like the self-help industry is just like oh my god there we go it's we're gonna fun. start a new club yeah, called
0: you. the self-help bs
1: <laughs> yes <laughs> i'm down to start that club <laughs> the bs to look out for yeah exactly (laughs) yeah but yeah it's so important to understand that your thoughts are not real a thought is just like a thought it's not a physical tangible thing so if you think you're a terrible person Mm -hmm. let yourself explore that thought yeah right so allowing you can journal about the fact that you think you're a horrible person. Mm-hmm. And if you're afraid that by journaling about thinking that you're a horrible person, you're going to end up being a horrible person. Mm-hmm. You can journal about how you're afraid yeah, <laughs> rather than about the fact that you're a horrible person and yeah. see if that layer of fear Needs to come off first before you can even tackle that like you know repressed shame or whatever it is that is causing you to believe that you're that horrible person and that's going to be how you can start cultivating that self-compassion because you're you're removing the old programming the old crap those old plants those weeds and then you're going to be able to replace it with better stuff
0: yeah so beautiful you know and it also you know you and me are so on a journal path because it's so important and also because it helps us realize our stories once you can go when we are in it in the moment it feels very real but when you can go back and look at your journal and read the stories i remember some of them even became laughable when i looked at them and i would like look at this and i've written it down and i thought this is such a lot of nonsense but then Mm -hmm. you can start looking at it like and this is what becomes mindfulness right being able to become an observer of your own mind but it can be hard to be in the moment and do that right but as we Journal, we can start actually looking back at our own mind and realize, wow, my mind talks a lot of nonsense. Why, why do I choose to identify, like you said, because it's actually not real? And there's a big danger in thinking that it's real, it's just stories, and most of them are narratives given to us that are not even ours, right? So, exactly. I think, yeah, there's such a big power in being able to see it's just an identity that was given to us, and actually, we can choose so many different identities because we can create new stories, right? Um, exactly. But until we can see that, it's hard to step out because it feels so real, right? Um,
1: that's exactly it.
0: So yeah, I love that. I love that. And then you can start being kind, and that's what I did. I started changing the statements around to something else, something different that yeah, actually sounded that. much more true, you know. And then I looked at yeah. evidence, and I saw actually the kind statement reflect the truth much more. You know, I looked, exactly. you know, when I said, oh, I was so stupid, I let this happen. And I, I saw this story. And then I started to look at the evidence and I realized, no, I'm not stupid. I built free businesses. I did X, Y and Z. You know, actually, I'm not a stupid person. So again, we yes. can start challenging this nonsense and the narrative exactly. of our mind, which is not us. It's kind of almost like other people still speaking through us, right?
1: Exactly. 100 so,
0: percent i love that we should create a journal i think we should publish a journal <laughs> but um i want to <laughs> talk i want to talk a bit about the end because we talked a lot about the dysfunction of what people experience blah with self and with the narcissist but i want to end on a positive note right and i want to give people something great also to aim for right and i think if we don't know what what great or healthy or nurturing looks like, it's hard to create it, right? Because mm-hmm. again, and I just want to mention this because I think part of what makes us receptive to the narcissist is also this Hollywood narrative Of chemistry that love is this instant chemistry like it always is in the movies right they meet and oh, they know it's made and this is exactly the narrative that toxic people live off which is why they Mm -hmm. create this intensity and we feel oh I found you know I thought I never believed in soulmate until I had this and I'm like oh maybe I have a soulmate and there was this nonsense narrative that we want to believe because we've been conditioned by Hollywood and our culture to believe it right And I Mm -hmm. think we need to give people a different model for what love actually is, because love is not instant chemistry. And even if it's not a toxic person, instant chemistry does not mean you're a good match long term. Okay? And I think that's so important people get this point. So I don't know, would you want to start and just talk a bit about what healthy dynamics look like? It doesn't have to be romantic. It can also be friendship. But just how does it actually look like?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it, it really depends on the context, right? Mm. So it's going to look different in every situation, but yeah, like chemistry, definitely. If you feel some kind of chemistry, it's probably a red flag. Um, so, (laughs) and this is why it's so important to do that emotional work so that Mm. if, you know, you'll be able to recognize the, trauma bond rather than calling it chemistry when it does happen and yeah like when you meet a healthy person they're probably gonna seem pretty boring like they're just gonna seem like an average person like nothing really special about them kind of thing they
0: don't like everything you like either they have their own interests (laughs)
1: yeah what a concept (laughs) you know like they might have separate interests and even if they do have similar interests as you they're not going to be so like Oh my God. That's so crazy. We both like pasta. That's so (laughs) rare. You know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like it's not going to be like that weird love bomby stuff. So it's going to feel very neutral. So I think the more, the more neutral and kind of nothing it feels, the more that you can kind of Mm -hmm. not guarantee, but like, be a little bit confident that it's probably healthy and just kind of seeing what happens as you go right so just being very aware and in tune with your body because you know there's not necessarily like these are the five green flags to look out for because that can get very confusing because green flags in one context like it just it really depends on like how you meet the person and what the context of the relationship is and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I would encourage you to use your judgment and flex that muscle, which can sound very scary, but once you start doing the work, it's going to start making sense. And if you're at a a place where you're still very confused about all of this, you do not want to jump into any kind of relationship, Mm, That's right, especially a romantic one. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, it's easier to see with friendships, Like, I mean, not easier to see, it can actually be harder to see, but the context of like a friendship with a narcissistic person depends as well. Cause if it's just a party friend that you're seeing on weekends at social events and you're not really close and you don't really hang out, you're probably not going to be their target of supply and you know, just important to like see things for what they are kind of thing. But if it's a close friendship that you're cultivating or like a romantic partnership or even co-workers and stuff like that just kind of you know be the observer mm. more than anything right and notice if you're getting into your feelings and notice what that means and what those emotions are trying to tell you is it a warning or is it a sense of safety do you feel safe around this person yeah. that's going to be the biggest indicator like how safe that person feels and you know if you tell them news mm-hmm. how do they react yeah right? Are they trying to compete with you? Are they seeming like they're jealous of you? Or are they genuinely there for you? Are they genuinely like they have your back kind of thing? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's going to be like with experience of dealing with people that, it's going to all start coming together. And, you know, if you're at the beginning of the journey, it might seem like this is really far out, like five, 10 years out. It doesn't have to be mm. just start doing the emotional work. Now, start doing the journaling. Now you would be surprised at mm. what could happen in a few months. And imagine if you took a few months to just focus on you
0: yes,
1: and then you start putting yourself out there. If you're going to be so much better off because like, the bullshit detector mm-hmm. is going to be so much stronger yeah. and you're going to be able to like pick up on other people's intentions instead of being wrapped up in like a fantasy yes. of what this person's promising you
0: you know what and that's an important point because it's really about slowing down i know we want things to go quick when we're anxious but slow everything down over time You will see people in different circumstances and the more you see them, the more likely you are to pick up on either healthy or not good signs, right? And therefore, it's a rush that really puts us in danger, I think. The one thing that we want to rush so quickly. So just take everything a step down, even when you feel the compulsion to want to rush, right? Then just slow down even further. If you are concerned about something, slow down even more and I think... You know, it's even this, come back to the chemistry I mentioned in the beginning, is that when we're in this state, because we also have a tendency, just not as much as, as cluster Bs, but we still idolize to some extent. So what we have to understand mm-hmm. when we fall in love, what happens is we see some traits that we like in somebody and then we project our fantasy of who we want them to mm-hmm. be, right? Or what we miss in ourselves, what we want them. And we actually fall in love with the fantasy, right? right. And And therefore we are blinded because that makes us blind often to seeing the potential warning signs because now we want to believe this fantasy so much, right? And therefore, and that again, come back to slowing down because knowing that you can't make good decisions in this state, when you do journaling, like you say, you can start seeing patterns that your mind won't see in the moment because you're infatuated with hormones, right? Dopamine is flooding your brain, you know, and all this stuff. Um, So again, I, I just think journaling, slowing down, two great tools. And also I think, I just wanted to mention the idea of mutuality right because Mm -hmm. i think with a narcissist there's never mutuality and i always say you know it's important to understand with a child adult dynamic there isn't mutuality because the adult is supposed to look out for the child but a key difference between an adult adult dynamic is there's supposed to be mutuality meaning the Mm -hmm. other person is supposed to show mutual care mutual respect etc and that isn't there it's not a healthy dynamic long term because you will be drained and you will become resentful etc etc right so look for mutuality i I think look for somebody who respect your boundaries great i think green flag right set a boundary and see how do Mm -hmm. they respond do they try to make you feel guilty do they ignore it that's not a good sign right but are they respectful and say i'm really sorry i overstepped your boundary tell me how i can do different next time and you see a change in behavior well that's a really good green flag right Mm -hmm. um so, yeah, I think again, we could go on for hours, but I think before we end, could you just tell people where they can find you if they want to know more, if they want to follow your content, or maybe they want coaching because they think this is all a bit too overwhelming to do themselves, et cetera?
1: Totally, yeah. So, you can find me on Instagram at Let's Get Your Shift Together. Um, you can find me on TikTok as well with the same username or my YouTube channel. It's also called let's get your shift together. Um, the best way to reach me though is on Instagram. That's where I'm the most active and that's where you will find all of my offerings. So yeah, if anyone is interested in coaching, I'm do, I do strictly group coaching and it's a 12 week program for survivors of narcissistic abuse. We learn and unlearn all the conditioning, release the repressed emotions, rebuild the confidence, and learn how to maintain all of that inner work going forward. So yeah, that can all be found on my website at letsgetyourshifttogether.com. The next round will be opening in January for applications. And right now for the month of December, I'm offering a holiday workshop for anybody who is either low or no contact with their family or they want to be in the future and they want some tools to navigate uh, the upcoming season
0: nice and we'll put your instagram profile in the comments below so people can just check that out so go check out he's got a lot of good content on instagram a lot of good tips lots of good inspiration to keep going so it's definitely worth checking in and following thank you so much for coming on the podcast i really appreciate your time thanks so much
1: for having me see you soon see you later bye
0: (laughs) there we go thank you people
1: who have empathy that's right because they you know like we we can we kind of you know, wear our hearts on our sleeves sometimes, so they can see it. And it doesn't mean that you need to be like a guarded, cold hearted person or anything like that. It's just, you know, you can still wear your heart on your sleeve, but open up your eyes a little bit more and navigate the world with that awareness. So, you know, when you do meet somebody new, are they love bombing you? and that is you know when they just come on very strong and they're telling you everything that you want to hear you have everything in common you do the same hobbies your dogs have the same name what a coincidence you know that kind of ridiculous stuff yeah. um that's all love bombing and you know if they tell you that they love you like right away or that your are soulmates or twin flames or whatever like th- those are all like massive red flags like yeah. you want to run as fast as you can A red flag is a full stop. So you want to run at the first sign of a red flag. It's not a challenge. I saw a quote somewhere on the internet. It's not a challenge to try and overcome the red flag. It's a full stop and you run away and do not even waste Mm -hmm. any more time with this person. Um, So, you know, just kind of being observant of what's going on right in front of you and noticing how you feel. If you get like a gut feeling about this person, that's probably a bad thing. Mm -hmm. It probably means that you're getting like if you compare because you probably had a gut feeling with the last narcissist you dated for anyone who's going back into the dating scene after narcissistic abuse, pay attention to what that felt like. And this is why it's so important to do the emotional work, because it's going to help you actually trust your intuition. Yeah. Because your nervous system knows when somebody's unsafe before you even are consciously aware of it. That's right. So yeah, like the nervous system can totally pick up on other people's energies. And so if you're getting some kind of a gut feeling, notice if it's similar to the gut feeling that you got with previous narcissists in your life. And if it is, that is not chemistry. Mm-hmm. That's your nervous system saying run like the frickin' wind.
0: Yeah and you know also what you said is so important because it's this what you described the lot bombing the everything is great it's high intensity right it's a yes. uh, classical sign not just of narcissism also borderline it's very Mm -hmm. high intensity very quick you know for me she would talk about marriage after three weeks after four weeks she said i should buy her diamond ring and i'm like what and and i thought she was joking yeah i thought she was joking right i'm like this is too weird she's surely joking um and but again it comes with so like you said soulmate right and if people say that when they don't even know nobody knows you when you dated for a few months right it takes a long time if somebody starts saying these things Push for quick commitment. Again, like you said, it's this high quick intensity. It's a huge warning sign. I would say the only time this doesn't apply is with a psychopath. That's the only people that might not do high intensity, but that's not really the focus today. I just want to mention that because I know some people have been blindsided with that psychopath. It's actually more the opposite. It's complete lack of emotional responses. So that could be, you know, you see an old lady be hit by a car. A normal human being would have a reaction to that, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's uncomfortable to see. They would try and help while a psychopath would not have any emotional reaction to that. And that's so for them, it's kind of the opposite. It's that they have no no emotional reaction while for the narcissist it's more this tendency to create really quick intensity right they live in this world of idolization where Mm -hmm. they think you know you're so great as long as you're giving them supply and the Mm -hmm. second you're not giving them that then you become a demon that they think they can abuse and kick um but i think what's interesting also i guess and this is where you're right the journaling is so good is to look at Why do we get appealed to that? Because what I found is a lot of people who are attracted to narcissists have a slight sense, and there's no judgment around this because there's no good or bad attachment styles. But to heal, we need to acknowledge a lot of us have had, at least an anxious attachment style. And this is why Mm -hmm. high intensity is so appealing because to this attachment style, we feel safety. In things going really quick, right? And this is why we gravitate and this is why we're easily manipulated it, because it's so easy to fake this quickness and greatness. Okay. And we often buy into that because if we're a bit anxious, that makes us feel safe, right? So we latch on to it. So unless we look at our own anxious attachment and our own tendency, maybe, you know, I remember a friend of mine said to me, Thomas, I noticed in in your dynamic, even in the healthy dynamics, he would say, you tend to go really fast. Like you see these girls a lot and it quickly is a committed relationship. And I suddenly thought, yeah, he's got a point. And I started realizing how I was rushing too and how that made me Mm -hmm. vulnerable, right? And by doing that, I could now make a conscious choice. And notice when my nervous system wanted me to rush because maybe I feel anxious, but then make a different choice and saying, I hear that you want this to make me feel safe. But this this worked when I was a little kid. It's not an effective strategy. And I would consciously say, so therefore I'm going to choose to go slow. I'm not going to see her three times this week, only once. I'm not going to go straight to, you know, a committed relationship after three weeks because I don't know her. And we can then start making a conscious choice rather than our nervous system just automatic making these choices for us, right?
1: Exactly.
0: So, yeah, it's, it's, but again, it comes back to journaling. And I think that journaling helped me realize and see these patterns, like you said. Mm -hmm. So journal, journal, journal. (laughs)
1: Exactly, exactly. And try not to be so afraid of your mind too, right? Because that's, that's a big part of it. Like we're so afraid of our thoughts, but at the end of the day, thoughts are not real and thoughts cannot hurt you and neither can emotions and untangling that from your subconscious is literally the key to that freedom
0: nice and not judging ourselves right as well
1: yes because the reason we often
0: don't want to see this is all this shame even around attachment styles you know there's a lot Mm -hmm. like we tend to think that safe and secure attachment that's a good attachment style but it's nonsense like emotions we said before there is no good and bad they were a functional response to a dysfunctional environment so you know you did it because it worked when you were that child it's just that they don't work anymore as an adult right but if we can look at them without judgment we can say oh yeah maybe I do have tendency towards anxious attachment. It doesn't make me less attractive. It doesn't make me less a bad person. But how can I work with that to actually gravitate and create more security? Exactly. So I want to talk to you a bit more about, again, how we can then protect ourselves, right? So mm-hmm. we mentioned a bit more about boundaries earlier, I think. So I want to talk a bit more about that because I think it's an important Part of being safe because part of why they target us is often because, again, when we are quite empathetic, maybe a bit anxious, maybe tend to have learned to people please as a way of feeling safe in the world, mm-hmm. we are the perfect supply, right? And again, oh, yeah. to be honest, a narcissist wouldn't target a, a friend of mine. He's got so solid boundaries, gentle, but very solid. He would never be targeted by a narcissist because exactly. they would look at that and, like, this guy's not going to give me what I need. So it's exactly. a good, good, um, Yeah, and I even say in dating, it's good to set early boundaries just to see how somebody responds, right? But could you talk a bit about boundaries and how people can start developing that if they feel really uncomfortable about it, which I think a lot of people do, right?
1: Yeah, 100%. So number one, just understand that your discomfort around boundaries, given the situation, completely normal. It would be weird if you have been like, narcissistically abused your entire life. And the first day you learn about boundaries Mm. decades later, you become a boundary setting (laughs) professional. (laughs) Uh Like that would be very weird. So please try and look at it that way. Right. And I know that when, you know, we, we want to get out of the dynamic, we want to set the boundaries. We want that instant gratification. We want it now, 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 because you know, there's no time. (laughs) And (laughs) I totally get that. Um, But, you know, it's important to do the emotional work when it comes to boundaries as well, because that discomfort around setting boundaries is literally repressed emotions. Mm -hmm. So why are you uncomfortable setting boundaries? Because you were taught that you were never allowed to have Mm -hmm. boundaries especially if you were raised in that kind of a dynamic in your household with a narcissistic parent, there was no such thing as boundaries. You were not allowed to have them. You're an extension of your parent, And you know, that's the messaging that you got as a kid. And so that kind of gets carried out with you throughout the rest of your life until you, you know, are lucky enough to figure this out, you know? And, um, so yeah, like just exploring the discomfort about the boundary. So if you have an idea of the boundary that you want to set, but you're not confident that you can set it yet, that's okay make that your journal prompt, do some journaling around that, explore the discomfort, notice what that discomfort feels like in your body. If you can name the emotion, great. If you can't, that's okay. As long as you're feeling it in your body, then that's what matters. And then notice if the intensity level starts going lower and lower, that's the emotion releasing and then see if there's any clarity. And then you might even, you know, be able to brainstorm ways that you could set your boundary or, you know, like if you want to go no contact, for example, like some people think they need to write an entire letter and like a goodbye speech and all that kind of stuff. But what that is, is just more supply. Mm -hmm. And you know, exploring your intention with that? Is it to make them understand? Because they're not going to understand. They already, they already understand. Uh (laughs) They understand. They know what you're doing. They are just just going to try and brainstorm. (laughs) Exactly. They don't care. And they're going to improvise new ways on getting a reaction out of you because that's what it all boils down Mm -hmm. to. So exploring those emotions within yourself Mm -hmm. is going to give you that clarity and give you, you know, the ability to think, Mm. about how you're going to start setting those boundaries and you know you'll probably come to the conclusion once you've worked through it emotionally that they don't deserve one more minute of your time and you can just go full out no contact and call it a day
0: yeah and there's also this gentleness around boundaries like you said you know when it's a new concept and we never had the opportunity never learned we had a right to have boundaries then, you know, be gentle. It's going to take time. Like anything, it's a practice, right? We couldn't walk straight away. We couldn't type straight away. And as you start doing boundaries, sometimes we won't get it right. Sometimes we'll be too harsh. And then we learn, right? And again, don't judge yourself because you're just practicing a new skill. Sometimes you will let people overstep because you got overwhelmed. It doesn't mean you're bad. It doesn't mean you don't deserve your boundary. It just means you're learning something completely new and you're meant to mess up, right? And I think what often happens, which is normal, is when we learn, when we've been in one extreme, no boundaries, we get a bit on the other extreme and maybe for a little while become too harsh, With Mm -hmm. our boundaries the way we express them and again it's normal and that's how we then come back and find that middle point so it's also okay you know and be gentle and then just you know if you think you've gone too far and were too harsh just reach out to that person and you can just say listen my boundaries are valid but maybe i communicated a bit too harsh it's okay it's okay to mess up so i think and also like this is one of the great things about hiring someone like you a professional is that it gives you a safe space to practice boundaries because I think what's important is when it's new, when it's really scary then you don't want to necessarily go do it with your boss or someone where you might get a very hostile reaction, right? Because that will make you mm-hmm. retreat back in your little shelf and this is why it's good to work with someone like you um, because it gives you a safe space and as your nervous system starts to learn that somebody can respond and even acknowledge your boundaries, it start feeling more safe, right? Then you can practice with somebody, maybe a friend that's a bit more safe, right? Mm-hmm. And as you get exactly. better so it's like slow, you don't go to the Olympics to do the hundred meter sprint, right? You start slowly. Exactly. And then you know you can practice with toxic people as you get better and better at it. But don't start there because it's like that's setting yourself up for failure. So I think it's exactly. great to, to just again slow and gentleness, you know? It's key.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Unless your safety's at risk. Yeah. Then you start there, absolutely. Yeah. But Yeah. I mean, just learn, just look at it. Like you're really just learning a brand new skill. It's like learning a new language or it's like, you know, going to the gym for the first time, you're not going to become a bodybuilder after working out once, you know? So it's, it's a muscle that you're building that it atrophied unfortunately, because you didn't even have a chance to develop that muscle. So being gentle with yourself that way and, you know, it, it can get a lot easier. Like once you start really digging into it, the boundary setting with the toxic people, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be full no contact right away. Mm-hmm. It can be something as small as don't call my phone after 930 p.m. Right. or, right. you know, whatever the case may be. And there's going to mm-hmm. be a consequence if they do call that consequence, you don't answer the phone and maybe you get back to them in the morning. And if they're going to get angry with you, let them have a conversation in your text messages with themselves. Let them go off. Cause they're just, they're really just trying to get that reaction out of you at the end of the day. So if that ends up happening, notice how that makes you feel. Notice what emotions are there. And you know, one layer of emotion at a time and having realistic expectations of yourself that you're not going to be like the boundary champion tomorrow. That's but weird. maybe you're starting to build these skills little by little yeah. and it's going to start making more and more sense as you keep going.
0: Yeah. And also, I think, you know, there's a lot of talk about this idea of self-worth, right? And mm-hmm. I think boundaries is such a key part of self-worth because every time we set a boundary, we are telling ourselves our own body, I'm, you're safe because I'm looking out for you, right? And as we, you know, when, and again, there's no blame here, but sometimes as we allow boundary violation, it makes us feel less safe, right? So, therefore, slowly building up that muscle and teaching, and even what I used to do is I would actually put my hand on my body where it felt tense in the beginning mm-hmm. when I set a boundary and I might get tension in my stomach, right? And I would just put a hand on my stomach. And when I set my boundary and afterwards, and slowly I could feel my stomach become more and more relaxed because I was teaching my body that my body was safe now because I was amazing. looking out for my body, right? Um, That's amazing. But like I said, it's just a slow, gentle practice. And it's really That's nice, cool. I found to to embody it like you said you talk a lot about the body and i agree so much to make it somatic as we do it so notice where does it feel really uncomfortable is it your jaw maybe it's your jaw it was for me as well that gets really tense that's okay then maybe just hold your jaw for a little bit right (laughs) and just allow that and then you realize it's just a sensation at the end of the day all this Mm -hmm. discomfort is okay my stomach is a little tense and after a while you build up that muscle and you say well, I can be with a tense stomach and suddenly it doesn't feel so intimidating anymore, right? Because all it boils down to is a tense stomach and at the end you laugh about it and you're like, well, it's just a tense stomach and it's fine. Yeah,
1: (laughs) totally, totally. And you can absolutely reach that point just by one baby step at a time because that really is all it is. It's just a sensation in your body and it's safe to feel it. It's not a medical episode.
0: Yeah, I want to talk to you a little bit about self-kindness as well. I know it's a long podcast, but I think it's so important, right? Um, if you want to talk oh a bit, because I know with journaling, you talk a lot about journaling, and that's a great place. How people can start changing this internal bully or the narcissist that they carry. I call it a, a garden. I say, you know, you were born with a narcissist parent, right? And it's kind of like we're given a garden and they plant the flowers. But as we grow up, we can look at that and say, actually, I don't like these thingy nettles. And we can pull them out and plant our own flowers, right? So that's kind of my analogy for for self kindness. But I don't know if you yeah. can talk a, a bit more about this and and what we can do to practically start implementing it.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I love that analogy with the garden. That's amazing. And you know, I I will piggyback off of that analogy because <laughs> these are the ideas that you have about yourself, right? Mm-hmm. That you're a horrible person. This is the stuff that's been planted in your garden. Mm. So it's so hard to have self-compassion when you are empathic and you believe that you're a horrible person. Mm -hmm. So understanding that first and foremost, and then seeing that like, these are the ideas that were planted in you. and the way to like you know flip your garden is you have to take out all the old crop so that you can plant the new seeds Mm -hmm. otherwise they're just going to all grow all over each other and it's going to be a huge mess and it's going to be a disaster (laughs) but what that entails is actually acknowledging Mm -hmm. the thoughts that you're having about yourself so if you feel like you're not worthy of anything good happening in your life Mm -hmm. just because you think it It does not make it true. And I know there's so many like coaches on Instagram that do like manifestation and all that. And it's like, oh, what you think becomes reality. (laughs) You know?
0: You sound like me now. This is something I would say.
1: (laughs) That's hilarious. it's so true though you know it's like it's we become so afraid of our minds and our thoughts because uh, of the, these messages that we get yeah. and we really think that our thoughts are real and honestly mm. i used to think this way until i realized if my thoughts were real like i would be dead by now i would be in jail by now i would be a billionaire by now yes. like, oh
0: thank god it's so, so good for me to hear someone else say this <laughs> amazing <laughs> i'm like i can't take more of this self-help bs <laughs> our, Honestly. Thought, our thoughts are not who we are and like it's not even helpful to say that i know exactly. they probably have good intentions but it's just yeah, not and true I mean,
1: it's easy to market that stuff yeah. but you know what? Yeah. it's all bullshit at the end of the day yeah, thank, you, like... thank you thank <laughs> you you're welcome <laughs> you're welcome like the self-help industry is just like oh my god there we go it's we're gonna so start a new staggering. club called the
0: self-help bs <laughs>
1: I'm down to start that club. (laughs) The BS to look out for. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, it's so important to understand that your thoughts are not real. Because a thought is just like a thought. It's not a physical, tangible thing. So if you think you're a terrible person, Mm -hmm. let yourself explore that thought. Yeah. Right? So allowing, you can journal about the fact that you think you're a horrible person. And if you're afraid that by journaling about thinking that you're a horrible person, you're going to end up being a horrible person. You can journal about how you're afraid yeah, rather than about the fact that you're a horrible person and yeah. see if that layer of fear needs to come off first before you can even tackle that, like, you know, repressed shame or whatever it is that is causing you to believe that you're that horrible person. And that's going to be how you can start cultivating that self-compassion because you're, you're removing the old programming, the old crap, those old plants, those weeds, and then you're going to be able to replace it with better stuff
0: yeah so beautiful you know and it also you know you and me are so on a journal path because it's so important and also because it helps us realize our stories once you can go when we are in it in the moment it feels very real but when you can go back and look at your journal and read the stories I remember some of them even became laughable when I looked at them and I would like look at this and I've written it down and I thought this is such a lot of nonsense but then Mm -hmm. you can start looking at it like and this is what becomes mindfulness right being able to become an observer of your own mind but it can be hard to be in the moment and do that right but as we journal we can start actually looking back at our own mind and realize wow my mind talks a lot of nonsense Why? Why do I choose to identify? Like you said, because it's actually not real. And there's a big danger in thinking that it's real. It's just stories. And most of them are narratives given to us that are not even ours, right? So I think, yeah, there's such a big power in being able to see. It's just an identity that was given to us. And actually, we can choose so many different identities because we can create new stories, right? Um, But until we can see that, it's hard to step out because it feels so real, right? Right. Um, That's exactly it. So yeah, I love that. I love that. And then you can start being kind. And that's what I did. I started changing the statements around to something else, something different. That actually sounded much more true. You know, and then I looked at evidence and I saw actually the kind statement reflect the truth much more. You know, I looked, you know, when I said, Oh, I was so stupid, I let this happen. And I I saw this story. And then I started to look at the evidence. And I realized, No, I'm not stupid. I built free businesses. I did x, y and z. You know, actually, I'm not a stupid person. So again, we can start challenging this nonsense, and the narrative of our mind, which is not us. It's kind of almost like other people still speaking through us, right?
1: Exactly. 100% So, 100%
0: I love that we should create a journal I think we should publish a journal <laughs> but um, I want to totally. talk I want to talk a bit about the end because we talked a lot about the dysfunction of what people experience with self and with the narcissist but I want to end on a positive note right and I want to give people something great also to aim for right and I think if we don't know what what great or healthy or nurturing looks like, it's hard to create it, right? Because again, and I just wanna mention this because I think part of what makes us receptable to the narcissist is also this Hollywood narrative of chemistry, that love is this instant chemistry like it always is in the movies, right? They meet and oh, they know it's made. And this is exactly the narrative that toxic people live off, which is why they Mm -hmm. create this intensity. And we feel, oh, I found, you know, I thought I never believed in soulmate until I had this. And I'm like, oh, maybe I have a soulmate. And there was this nonsense narrative that we want to believe because we've been conditioned by Hollywood and our culture to believe it, right? And Mm -hmm. I think we need to give people a different model for what love actually is because love is not instant chemistry and no. even if it's not a toxic person instant chemistry does not mean you're a good match long term okay mm-hmm. and i think that's so important people get this point so i don't know Would you want to start and just talk a bit about what healthy dynamics look like it doesn't have to be romantic it can also be friendship but just how does it actually look like
1: yeah so i mean it it really depends on the context right mm. so it's going to look different in every situation but yeah like Chemistry definitely, if you feel some kind of chemistry, it's probably a red flag. Um, so and this is why it's so important to do that emotional work so that Mm. if you know you'll be able to recognize the trauma bond rather than calling it chemistry when it does happen, yeah. And yeah, like when you meet a healthy person they're probably going to seem pretty boring. Like they're just going to seem like an average person, like nothing really special about them kind of thing. They
0: don't like everything you like either. They have their own interests.
1: (laughs) Yeah. What a concept, (laughs) you know, like they might have separate interests. And even if they do have similar interests as you, they're not going to be so like, Oh my God, that's so crazy. We both like pasta. That's so (laughs) rare. You know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like it's not going to be like that weird love bomby stuff. So it's going to feel very neutral. So I think the more, the more neutral and kind of nothing it feels, the more that you can kind of Mm -hmm. not guarantee, but like be a little bit confident that it's probably healthy and just kind of seeing what happens as you go. Right. So Just being very aware and in tune with your body because, you know, there's not necessarily like these are the five green flags to look out for because that can get very confusing because green flags in one context, like it just, it really depends on like how you meet the person and what the context of the relationship is and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I would encourage you to use your judgment and flex that muscle. Which can sound very scary, but once you start doing the work, it's going to start making sense. And if you're at a, at a place where you're still very confused about all of this, you do not want to jump into any kind of relationship. Mm, that's right, especially a romantic one, right? Mm-hmm. And like, it's easier to see with friendships. Like, I mean, not easier to see. It can actually be harder to see. But the context of like a friendship with a narcissistic person depends as well. Because if yeah. it's just a party friend that you're seeing on weekends at social events and you're not really close and you don't really hang out, you're probably not going to be their target of supply. And you know, just important to like see things for what they are kind of thing. But if it's a close friendship that you're cultivating or like a romantic partnership or even coworkers and stuff like that, just kind of, you know, be the observer Mm. more than anything right? And notice if you're getting into your feelings and notice what that means and what those emotions are trying to tell you. Is it a warning or is it a sense of safety? Do you feel safe around this person? That's going to be the biggest indicator, like how safe that person feels. And, you know, if you tell them news, Mm -hmm. how do they react? Yeah. Right. Are they trying to compete with you? Are they seeming like they're jealous of you or are they genuinely there for you? Are they genuinely like, they have your back kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's going to be like with experience of dealing with people that, it's going to all start coming together. And, you know, if you're at the beginning of the journey, it might seem like this is really far out, like five, 10 years out. It doesn't have to be mm. just start doing the emotional work. Now, start doing the journaling. Now you would be surprised at what could happen in a few months. And imagine if you took a few months to just focus on you yes, and then you start putting yourself out there. If you're going to be so much better off because like, the bullshit detector is going to be so much stronger and you're going to be able to like pick up on other people's intentions instead of being wrapped up in like a fantasy of what this person's promising you
0: you know what and that's an important point because it's really about slowing down i know we want things to go quick when we're anxious but slow everything down over time you will see people in different circumstances and the more you see them the more likely you are to pick up on either healthy or not good science right and therefore it's a rush that really puts us in danger i think the one thing that we want to rush so quickly so just take everything a step down even when you feel the compulsion to want to rush right then just slow down even further if you are concerned about something slow down even more and i think you know, it's even this, come back to the chemistry I mentioned in the beginning, is that when we're in this state, because we also have a tendency, just not as much as, as cluster B's, but we still idolize to some extent, so what we have to understand mm-hmm. when we fall in love what happens is we see some traits that we like in somebody and then we project our fantasy of who we want them to be mm-hmm. right, of what we miss in ourselves what we want them, and we actually fall in love with the fantasy, right, right. And, and therefore we are blinded because that makes us blind often to seeing the potential warning signs because now we want to believe this fantasy so much, right? Exactly. And therefore, And that again comes back to slowing down because knowing that you can't make good decisions in this state, when you do journaling, like you say, you can start seeing patterns that your mind won't see in the moment because you're infatuated with hormones, right? Dopamine is flooding your brain, right. you know, and all this stuff. Um, so again, I, I just think journaling, slowing down, two great tools. And also I think, I just wanted to mention the idea of mutuality. Right, because mm-hmm. I think with a narcissist, there's never mutuality, and I always say, you know, it's important to understand with a child adult dynamic, there isn't mutuality because the adult is supposed to look out for the child. But a key difference between an adult adult dynamic is there's supposed to be mutuality, meaning the mm-hmm. other person is supposed to show mutual care, mutual respect, etc., and that isn't there, it's not a healthy dynamic long term because you will be drained and you will become resentful, etc., etc., right. Okay so look for mutuality i I think look for somebody who respect your boundaries great i think green flag right set a boundary and see how do Mm -hmm. they respond do they try to make you feel guilty do they ignore it that's not a good sign right but are they respectful and say i'm really sorry i overstepped your boundary tell me how i can do different next time and you see a change in behavior well that's a really good green flag right Mm -hmm. um so yeah, I think again, we could go on for hours. But I, totally. I think before we end, could you just tell people where they can find you if they wanna know more, if they wanna follow your content, or maybe they want coaching because they think this is all a bit too overwhelming to do themselves, et cetera?
1: Totally. Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at let's get your shift together. Um, You can find me on TikTok as well with the same username or my YouTube channel. It's also called Let's Get Your Shift Together. Um, The best way to reach me, though, is on Instagram. That's where I'm the most active, and that's where you will find all of my offerings. So, yeah, if anyone is interested in coaching, I do strictly group coaching, and it's a 12-week program for survivors of narcissistic abuse. We learn and unlearn all the conditioning, release the repressed emotions, rebuild the confidence and learn how to maintain all of that inner work going forward. So yeah, that can all be found on my website at letsgetyourshifttogether.com. The next round will be opening in January for applications. And right now for the month of December, I'm offering a holiday workshop for anybody who is either low or no contact with their family, or they want to be in the future and they want some tools to navigate uh, the upcoming season.
0: Nice. And we'll put your Instagram profile in the comments below so people can just check that out. So go check out. He's got a lot of good content on Instagram, a lot of good tips, lots of good inspiration to keep going. So it's definitely worth checking in and following. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate your time.
1: Thanks so much for having me. See
0: you soon. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you get our new podcast episodes on how to avoid, deal with, and recover from toxic relationships and difficult breakups. Also, leave a review. It really helped me stay motivated and keep making more of these episodes. For more free resources on how to avoid and recover from toxic relationships and difficult breakups, just check out the link in the description. You can also grab the free guide and free webinar giving you the tools to spot toxic dating partners and heal if you've been unlucky to date one. I've also just launched the Toxic relationship recovery program that will teach you everything you need to know on how to stay clear of toxic dating partners, develop a shield so they don't target you, spot all the red flags and manipulation strategies, make better partner choices, and how to heal and end people-pleasing and get clear boundaries so you never have to go through this again. You can find the link in the description. Stay safe and I'll see you in the next episode.